This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Data, the podcast, season two, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We're delighted to bring you another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, which boasts even more data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Our aim remains the same to uncover how some of the most prominent leaders within the data analytics community tackle our industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, ideas, and experience, and just as in season one, to give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season two. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by David Reed, who is the Knowledge and Strategy Director for Data IQ, uh, a very known face and voice in the industry. So, David, thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Carl, thanks very much for the invitation. It's great to join you on the show. Good. Well, I'm uh, look, really, really excited to to have you on, and um, obviously very timely given your recent book that I can see in your background there. Um, <laughs> you might just be able to spot it behind yeah. me. <laughs> um, but yeah, looking forward to kind of diving into this. So, I guess where we always start, David, for anyone that's been living under a rock and doesn't know who you are, <laughs> give us a, a brief introduction into, I guess, your background and I guess how you've ended up being where you are, if that makes sense. Yeah, thanks, Carl. So I've spent probably the last um, 30, 35 years actually really working as a, a journalist historically. I started out back in the late 80s writing about direct marketing. Uh, that all began. I was working on a, on a magazine, a weekly magazine called Campaign, which was the Bible of the advertising industry. But it had this um, special reports section that I was editing. And we had quarterly reports on direct marketing. And it seized my interest because you could know who you were putting your ads in front of and you could know who responded to it. And I thought, well, this is fantastic stuff. And as it turned out, that had a huge boom right through the 90s, an absolute explosion of adoption and, and use. A massive industry grew up on the back of it. And I edited a, a few monthly magazines. I, I went freelance um, actually when one of those magazines closed in the early 90s. And I stuck at being freelance for the next 25 years, but consistently just writing about direct marketing, which then you know, became digital, uh, which then ultimately by about 2005, um, it struck me that data as a subject area in itself was worthy of attention. And um, I managed to persuade the publisher that they should launch a monthly magazine just about data, uh, which I was then editor of. And then in 2011, um, our current CEO, Adrian Gregory, decided to launch what's now Data IQ and asked me to join him. Nice, nice. So very interesting career. And I'm sure um, as we unpack this, David, you'll be able to give us a, a lot of insight into the changes over that period of time. Um, but before we jump into that, t tell us a little bit about the Data IQ for anyone that's not too familiar. Absolutely. We started as I mentioned, 10 years ago, back in April uh, 2011. And we were at that point fairly 
conventional publisher. We put out a quarterly print journal. Uh, we ran conferences. We created an awards program. And a few years into that, we also then launched um, what became the DataIQ 100. Then in about 2016, we decided to go digital so we could make all of that content a lot more accessible. And a year later, we launched our membership service, DataIQ Leaders, which is now really the growth part of the business. And that's where we are helping our members to develop their personal skills, their team skills, to really drive the value out of the investment their organizations are making into data, both at a sort of a, a people level and an asset level. So we still run um, the DataIQ 100. Uh, we just had a, a fantastic event last week, bringing together members of, of that list for, for lunch. We have our awards happening um, at the end of September. Um, and we continue to hopefully grow this community and be part of this, this fantastic industry, which, Carl, as you know, has enjoyed a, a tremendous decade of growth, and, and we hope it continues to do so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, and I guess kudos to, to you and the team over there, David, because I think that the work you guys uh, and girls do is is absolutely great, and uh, I guess have become somewhat of the gold standard, right? For well, That's very, um, very kind of you to say. I, I, we, we were perhaps fortunate in the timing. We certainly got in just ahead of the curve. It took a, a couple of years for people to really understand why our advocacy of people was so important. As you know, Carl, you know you can make all the fantastic investments in technology, but you've got to get the people right. And from day one, that was very much an area of focus for us. And it wasn't easy to begin with. Often organizations who were doing great things with data didn't really want to admit that they were doing that. <laughs> so finding speakers at conferences, <laughs> getting those entries for the awards, getting people to accept recognition in our 100, um, it took a while. But I think now, um, obviously, our lists are well-established and, and there are others uh, and other award schemes around. And, and all of that's great because it does enhance the status of data as a practice and as you know, um, you know, moving anything out of the back room into the, the front office, which is what's happened to data, not an easy journey to make. And there's still much to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I guess um, before we jump into the meat of the topic, which I'm uh, itching to get into, where does your role sit within the IQ? Because I know obviously you you host a podcast, right? You're also the face of most of the events. Kind of just get, talk us through a little bit about your involvement day to day. Yeah, that's right. So a couple of years ago, my role changed from being editor, which was you know the classic um, model uh, when we were primarily a publisher, to being knowledge director. And what that means is I'm very focused on the structure and content of what we create, making sure it's all consistent and aligns with the goals of the business uh, and also has a sort of quality filter to it. So, yeah, as part of that, I am still very much involved in the delivery. So you will see me fronting our events. Um, it's something, you know, I like doing. Uh, we've often talked about, you know, but running an awards night, should we have a comedian? But they usually come along and, and um, are very uh, humorously critical, can I put it that way, <laughs> of, of the night, which sometimes is great and sometimes doesn't go down so well. Uh, very rarely do they understand um, this domain enough to, to make really good jokes. If they did, I'd be a bit happier to do it. So, yes, we'll see, you'll see me up front. But behind the scenes, you know, I am tasked with 
making sure that you know I find those speakers, that we're creating the assets, the case studies, uh, putting together things like the podcasts and the programs, and in the membership side, you know, running our roundtables and and thinking about what's the next piece that we need to add into that proposition. Where do we go next to to keep uh, ahead of the demand and the needs uh, of our members? Because as you know, this this is a very rapidly evolving domain, and you know, we can't just you know, put it out there hope it lands and sit back and go, well, that's job done. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I guess to, to kind of tee this up then, David, interesting to hear where the the, the book obviously recently released and um, I'm seeing it literally all over LinkedIn. So um, <laughs> you might be able to retire sometime soon. I've been but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but where's that come from? What was the instigator? Why Why now? You know, what what led you to that point to go, you know what? This needs to be somewhere physical. Yeah, because it's it's it always seems like a great idea to write a book, but believe me, it is a challenge. There was a there was a genuine purpose behind it. So, as part of that journey, I was describing that the Data IQ has been on. We recognised we were putting together these great conferences. We were publishing articles. You know, we published over sixteen hundred articles. We we've carried some like eight hundred profiles of of individuals in in the one hundred won 600 awards entries. And each time you do something like that, it exists for a specific purpose. And then things move on. And all of the, the knowledge that sits within each of those pieces tends to get siloed. It's a classic data problem, but it's a knowledge problem too. So we started to think, instead of doing these things as a one-off, was there a way to capture that knowledge and use it, bring it together in a, in a framework or a format that would have a bit more longevity and also its own purpose. So writing the book was an exercise in reviewing everything that we'd done for the last 10 years and then trying to see within that whether there were things, constant things that, that recurred that helped to create successful data offices, successful data deployments that led data leaders know, to be recognized within organizations. So the book is is partly about reviewing that evidence and exploring it, and also partly about creating the framework that that we now call the DataIQ way, and which we're hanging everything from that, that we now do within the business. So it was a very interesting exercise. It started with a purpose. Fortunately, I was able to discover that there are things that you know you can do that consistently seem to to have a positive effect. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and it makes perfect sense. And I guess when you've got all of that content, right, it, it kind of um, I mean, it's something that everyone wants to do, right? You know, consolidate all of the the best bits that they have and put yeah. them somewhere. But uh, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, that that is typically you know if, if you're working in a consultancy, that's typically what frameworks that that they have to offer have been based on. All of those client engagements and, and deployments feed that understanding of how to be effective, how to do things right. If you look into you know, other, other realms, um, psychology or, or, or sociology, and it's all about understanding how does this thing work and where do you intervene to make it work better or to stop things from going wrong? And the more evidence you've got for that, um, the more accurate you're likely to be in those interventions. Absolutely. So I guess we, we're at a point in time now in the data landscape where there's been vast amount of investment and a lot of advocacy. Um, 
and I guess some of these topics we're still talking about and, and debating that we've been doing so for, for for many years. So I guess from your perspective, what now for the data office? You know, after that kind of golden decade, as uh, as you refer to. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. The last ten years has been a very fortunate time to be involved in data industry at whatever level that might be. Because of that advocacy, because of that sense that this is, you know, it gets termed the fourth industrial revolution, data is the new oil, you know, all of those, <laughs> those slogans that we've seen, some which are still around, some which we can debate endlessly about whether that's really true. But clearly, there's been uh, an impetus behind it. And making the case that you have to formalize your use of data in a business within a data office or a data department and have someone to head that up. So typically a chief data officer has been driven either by that hype or by regulation, uh, necessarily so in some sectors. You know, we saw a lot of new regulation after the financial crash because banks realized they did not know how many customers they had, how many accounts, what their net exposure was. So all of that came into play. Then, of course, we, we had you know, a big regulatory push with the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, from the European Union, still in UK law is the Data Protection Act, that helped to, to fuel this investment. Now we're in a reshaped economy. You can't go through you know, a global pandemic like the one that we're still dealing with without lots of things changing. And one of the things that changes is, are we investing as a business in the right place? And is our investment into things like data showing the return that we expected it to? And there is a, is a body of evidence that suggests in many cases, um, not so much. The, it hasn't always been a success story that we, as much as anyone else, thought it was going to be. So now's the time, I think, for the data office to really start to focus on how does it prove to the business that it's worth sustaining, uh, maintaining as a standalone function, uh, and even investing further in and developing so that it can do the next level of breakthrough work, which is typically you know, bringing in machine learning, artificial intelligence, automation, all of those things which way back in 2012, the World Economic Forum was talking about you know, when it coined that term, the fourth industrial revolution. Yeah. I mean, it's been an interesting journey, hasn't it? And I think, as you say, we, we've seen the, the rise of data as its own entity if you will off the back of as you said regulation and governance and more of a you know protection of business initiatives that's then evolved into something much bigger and organization realizing that there's a way for them to gain economical value out of this but as you very rightly said there's been not many use cases out there where we were able to put a tangible figure on what that has been and for a whole host of different reasons right but um and i've said for for quite a while now you know we're we're running the risk shortly of some business leaders just pulling the plug on this because they've spent so much money and not seen what we were expecting to see um and, and that's not unusual carl you, you you're absolutely right and you 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 have um foreground of that yourself failure happens in business you know it's difficult to accept but there are you know New product development being the most obvious example, where historically it's always been the case, eight out of 10 new products fail. Technology fails, failures are commonplace. You know, lots of implementations do not do what they're expected to do. But no one says, let's stop new product development. No one says, let's not have any technology, right? <laughs> 
everyone is pursuing digital transformation. We all know that our interactions with the organizations are, are increasingly digital. Anything digital generates data. And that opportunity that we've seen for the last 10 years is still very much there. It is still capable of being leveraged, but you have to do it in the right way. And as you just said, you have to show the value because all business agrees that data has a value. It's just they can't agree on what that value actually is. And mm. that's the bit that's been left behind is how do we put a, you know, a hard cash sum against the return on the investment? It's easy to show where the investment has gone, whether that's in people or retooling. You can spend the money, but is the money coming back to the business either through cost savings, efficiency, greater throughput, more productivity, or increased revenue, or you know, even opening up new markets and and opportunities? Yeah, I know. As as we obviously discussed um, offline when we met for for coffee last week, I guess the difficulty is that if a a data team or capability or whatever the case may be is tasked with, I don't know, helping a sales team to generate more sales and therefore revenue you know the difficulty comes when the sales team wants all the credit for that right they well, don't want to... exactly i had that conversation just last week uh, where an entirely new data driven process was was introduced and created some rev- annual revenue streams like 23 25 million pounds and the data team were were saying okay we are going to claim that we've put that revenue into the business because it was fully supported by data, recognized you know, by us in the data office as an opportunity. And for a couple of weeks, they had ownership of that revenue line you know, as the champions of that revenue line. They were claiming it. And then slowly, lots of other stakeholders started coming out of the, uh, the, the woodwork <laughs> or the cupboards and go, well, hang on a minute. You know, We did do some of that work. Uh, we had to run that process. We had to do the marketing to find those customers, whatever it might be. And that's exactly the point. How do you show the data element within all of that? Now, this is not a new problem, Carl. Uh, and I think you know we're, we're starting to get to the point where, from my history, having seen how this has been breached elsewhere, showing the, the contribution of advertising, for example, to the net sales of a business has always been a struggle because classic, you know, above-the-line advertising, as it's called, did not have those... Uh, those touch points that you could measure and identify that your action created uh, an, an output. Yeah. That's why direct marketing appealed to me because it was much more measurable. But even there, you never had a fully closed loop. Even in the digital space, how hotly contested is the value investment in Google AdWords or you know Facebook ads? Can you prove these are real people doing real things at the end of the day? So any process that's quite lengthy and complex and has multiple stakeholders has the same problem. It's just that data is the new kid on the block and doesn't always have the same political protection or or weight that some of those other functions have that allow them to just argue, well, you can't disprove it's us, so we're having it. Yeah, and I guess you're, you've also got the the kind of flip side of that is that because we are the new kid on the block, there's certain infrastructures that need to be built right in order for the business yeah. to do this type of stuff, and and the sales team doesn't want that on their overhead, right? You know, when they need yeah. five million pounds to build a new data warehouse or whatever the case may be. So, but I think that's where it becomes tricky is that often, you know, the the business case 
is very much geared towards we need X amount to, to build this stuff, but then once it's up and running in production and adding value, there's yeah. almost then a, a tussle over that value and how much is being returned, which I guess leads us quite nicely into structure because I feel that this dictate how that value is viewed and where it should be, you know, distributed. Um, what's your take on that? Do you think it matters where it sits? I mean, we, we could probably debate this for the next three hours. Couldn't we? But, um, <laughs> and people do. Uh, I, I do think it matters, um, but that doesn't mean it necessarily ends up where, where it should. So firstly, I think it's important that there is an identifiable department called data. Whether Everything that's data-related has to sit in a centralized part of the business that's a data office. Very much depends on the, on the, the structure of the larger organization and, and its culture. So centers of excellence, great. They, they can work in some places. So can federated. So can, so can matrix. It, it really depends. And we do tend to see cycles where things get centralized and then they get federated. You know, it's, it's part of not just the maturity curve, but other influences coming to bear. And those are usually where there's a, a change of vision from the top, uh, a change of CEO, or sometimes uh, an incoming CIO. And this is where I think the big pressure is coming for the data department, because we have seen a number of really quite significant data officers and their CDOs being moved from reporting to a, a chief digital officer, which has been quite common, to reporting to a CIO. And I've yet to meet any CDO who reports to CIO who's happy about that. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's partly down to mindset more than anything else. It's not that there's anything wrong with CIOs. You know, some of those are great people and you know, they are very powerful business leaders and, and really can turn the dial for their organizations. But their mission is slightly different from the CDO and from what data is trying to achieve. It's about having the, the right bits of information in the right format, in the right pieces of technology. Whereas effective CDOs now are looking at what's the opportunity, what is the value creation piece? What is the, the behavioral shift, either internally or externally, that the data indicates we could achieve? And that's not typically what a CIO thinks their job is about. So a CDO moved under a CIO will find their scope gets narrowed um, and their opportunities um, are reduced and they tend to leave as a result. So personally, in a, a data IQ view, we don't think it, it should really sit in that sort of technology box. Um, if it's going to sit in another business department, it, it should be you know one of those value-creating stakeholders. Sitting in finance can be an incredibly powerful place to be, a really important place for data to sit uh, and reporting to the CFO or in that digital space, or if it's still sort of incubating a bit, sitting within marketing, perhaps. Um, and then there'll be other places where maybe it's sort of more operational. You know, if you have a lot of customer touch points, for example, um, call centers and, and the like, then maybe the COO might have an interest in having their hands on on data and that would make sense but i think boxing up as more of a technology play is a mistake and definitely will lead to less value recognition and value creation yeah i absolutely agree with that and i think you know i obviously given the breadth of different types of businesses that that 
we engage with, you know, we see a lot of different reporting lines and reporting structures. And I, I think my personal view is that I think irrespective of, of where it sits, you know, if it does sit under another business function, there's always an element of it being narrowed and, and kind of blinkered through through that focus in that area even though yeah yeah i mean we've we've argued in the past we've argued for having a cdo on every board um i'm actually not sure and now with with the new framework that the book explains i'm not sure that necessarily it has to be a cdo on the board but data has to be heard at board level and it has to be heard without perhaps the the interpretation or the translation that some of those other c level executives might place on it ultimately you know looking ahead and you're asking what next for the data office so one of the things i argue in the book is that there is a state of of data native organization that we will eventually see where you can't draw a distinction between how the business runs and operates and its use of data so actually you might not need that distinction of a, a, a data officer or a chief data officer because it will just be inherent right across the business but that's going to be rare for quite a long time. Uh, it's quite hard for legacy organizations to get to. And it might not be desirable if there are other you know, really important um, functions and purposes that the business is pursuing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that makes perfect sense. And I guess if we think about the value creation piece, I think that's where often this debate starts and gets tangled, right? Because if it's sat under another function, it almost becomes, well, then how do you measure that value? You kind of all, your focus is always going to be in kind of one kind of area, although the argument is that it should be enterprise wide across the business, which I, I agree with. So I guess, do you think data has the ability to compete with other functions as a value creating department or entity and i guess if so what what does it need to do yeah so in theory yes of course it does not least because data is probably the only function that sees the entire enterprise end to end if it's set up in the right way and and you know has that that scope but potentially it sees everything and understands how the business runs which, of course, makes it quite a challenging function. And that's why sometimes politically it gets constrained. Uh, so, so what does it need to do um, to, to really drive value creation? Well, you know, we were just talking about how you measure that. I think there's been a bit of a cul-de-sac by focusing too much on this idea of data as an asset. And the, the ways that do exist to allow that to be measured are extremely limiting. And they can only in full accounting terms, be applied in takeovers and mergers. And we haven't seen it done very often. It's, it's, it's complex, but it's also reductive because it, it tends to end up talking about data as customer lists. And as we all know, that's a very limiting part of what data can do. And actually, there's huge potential in you know, product data and, and sales data and logistics data and all the other uh, types of information that are flowing through the business. So personally, I think the focus needs to be a lot more on that measurement piece, uh, on the, the eco economic model and the econometrics of unpicking what data actually did. So I think to, to really seize that opportunity, data leaders are going to have to start to learn language of business, which is finance. 
And it's the next big step, I think. We've seen most data leaders coming out of mathematical, technical, statistical, computer science backgrounds mostly, although not, not uniquely. There's a lot of people who come through the arts and have moved into it and are very effective as a result. But all of them do need to, to start to think how they do talk to the CFO, how they take their case to the board and make the argument that, that for the next 10 years, data needs to be you know, a, a, a recipient of a big slice of the cake when the company's thinking about where to, to put its money in order to grow. Um, that's not an easy thing. Um, even numerate people struggle with finance because if you start thinking about taxation issues, you know, <laughs> and that sometimes is, can be part of how you look at this. But if you think about monetization of data, which is another big opportunity, but that takes you into legal complexities and compliance complexities, there are ways of doing it very powerful businesses. You know, we, uh, if you look at the likes of Barclays or, or Vodafone that have very effectively monetized their customer data in a fully anonymized, aggregated way and earn revenue from it. That revenue can help to fund the expansion of what the data office does. Funnily enough, that's exactly how Direct Martin grew way back in the day. Uh, you know, it's almost like seeing history repeat. If you created a customer list, you could sell it to non-competing businesses and use that money to spend more on your own marketing. Well, mm -hmm. that's a similar proposition. But you have to be able to, to put all of that into um, a story that the, the CFO and the board will recognize and go, that is worth putting X million in rather than buying another factory or employing another thousand salespeople or acquiring another business, all the other arguments that are constantly being made for investment. Companies have one set of revenue to invest and you have to be able to make that case. Yeah. And, and such an important point, uh, you know, I think we need to un unpick this a bit more because I think if we, if I think holistically around the data leaders that we speak to when we're engaged on mandates to, right, to, to go and headhunt people and so forth and so on. And, and some of the frustrations that we uncover often is something that it's a conversation that normally takes place around. I'm not too sure whether, um, you know, what they want me to do is achievable with the amount of money that they are willing to invest. Yeah. Right. And, and that kind of leads into a conversation around, well, there's a problem there because obviously it's hard to put a figure on that and then the whole technical versus commercial slash translations slash mm. storytelling piece you know effectively these people at this level almost need to be salespeople as well to a certain extent to sell you know, sell that story and sell sell that journey um in order to to get that investment right so it's almost like this hamster wheel of you know if you can fix one of them we might have a knock-on effect <laughs> around the around the others but it's yeah. they're all they're all very difficult but definitely the the commercial skills of you know data people in general um everyone just needs to have more of a focus on that and um because we're you know we're really good at the technical stuff right we're, yeah. we're almost bordering on obsessed that's that's that's, that's why that's why people are in the jobs that they're in because they are good at that and as you say you know they they love doing it and it's very much a thread in my book is arguing that you have to start thinking like a business leader and less like a data leader because 
yeah, you know, at some, there comes a point where you need to let go of the daily practice. You need to stop trying to crunch the numbers yourself. You need to trust other people to do it, not least because new techniques, new data types, new, new processes will come along that you've never handled um, and won't be able to do. But you have to be able to manage those people internally, like any other function that has to manage its own teams. So you've got to start to become a good people leader and you then have to do that business leadership piece internally that you were just talking about, Carl, going around, talking to stakeholders, showing them the art of po the possible, applying positive politics to say, we can do this for you, but in return, I need you to do something for me, which might be that value recognition piece, or it might be to agree to fix poor quality data yeah. upstream from when it comes into uh, the data domain, those kind of commitments and trade-offs, you know, that's what business leaders are doing all the time and recognizing when it's the battle that you need to win and when it's one that you can afford to lose. And sometimes you allow someone else to win because you're banking a favor yeah. and you're paying forward to something that you know, if you think really strategic, you might be able to get them to do something that you know will support a project you hope to get off the ground a year down the line. Yeah. I mean, I do think, to be honest with you, we we are enticing the wrong type of behaviors typically with <laughs> by, by the way that organizations recruit talent at all levels, you know, but we, we, we will get engaged, you know, on a weekly basis by organizations looking for a data leader. Um, but they, you know, it's a, an exhaustive list of, technological requirements and i'm yeah. kind of saying like you know often push back and say look you need this person to be able to go and win hearts and minds and tell stories and translate and and really get under the skin of the stakeholders to to show the value that they can add not just the fact that they can build a data warehouse in whatever you know te yeah. te technology yeah. it, it is but i guess unless there's well, someone in the business that knows that already and they're st starting on this journey, that's where the difficulty lies, right? Because they'll often employ someone then who is very good technically, struggles with the commercial piece, and then you're in this cycle of difficulty, I guess. Well, and we're seeing this, this really interesting moment and, and tension. So there's a couple of things happening. One, the data office is, is really good now at importing people from within the organization. So there's a lot of people who want to come work in data. They've heard the message, right? It's, it's got out there, yep. um, especially in large organizations. It looks like an you know, attractive place to work. It seems to have a lot of, uh, a lot more freedom sometimes. You know, it's allowed to say no to things. Uh, they have a different working culture often, especially if you're in financial services, some of those you know, quite staid environments. If you go into their data departments, they look very different. They look more like a digital startup. Yep. And that's been important for recruitment. So it's very good at importing people and bringing in uh, some of that uh, domain knowledge, that subject matter expertise, which is important for the data office to have, and bring in those numerate people with, with technical skills who understand the business. What it's not good at doing at the moment is exporting back out to take its ability and understanding out into the business, into those senior leadership positions. So I do think that reversal has to start to happen but you know there's still the struggle of staffing up data offices so it's unlikely to happen anytime soon but there is also this interesting tension between whether someone coming into data who's not 
that technical specialist can lead a data function. And you know, I sat in on a round table, which had quite an intense argument between people on either side of that. One where their organization was very deliberately bringing more generalists in to give that greater perspective and that communication skills set to data. Uh, and the other side of that coin was, well, it, they'll find it impossible to lead data people because they're so unique and they're very challenging. And indeed they are, you know, I've written about this in the book. They're, they are, they knowledge workers generally and data people, data analysts especially, can be very difficult to lead. And you do need some understanding of, of their mindsets in order to, uh, to get the best out of them. Yeah. So th- that also isn't that untypical of any maturing function. Um, and that's where data is right now. So it will hurt for a while. You know, it's, it's, we're probably in human terms where we, we're entering, you know, 10, 11, 12 year old territory, perhaps. Um, and it's interesting because I think obviously the piece that the industry has recognized that, you know, where, where improvement needs to be made is in that kind of commercial communication piece back out to the yeah. business, as you, as you very rightly said. So, you know, organizations combat that by going, getting people that have experience working, and uh, you know, more as a business leader than as a, a data leader, which, you know, if I'm going to put myself out on a whim, David, I, th- I think that's personally probably the right thing to do because we're not short of technical expertise. We can build functions, but I, I do totally understand the other side of the argument. If you've got someone that is completely non-technical trying to lead a function that by trade is doing very technical, very detailed work, you know that person can very quickly lose credibility within those teams because that they is just a risk. don't understand, yeah. you know, so yeah. it, it's a trade-off, right? What, what do you it's, do? It's there? always a trade-off. Obviously on both sides of that, uh, you can train people in, into some of those skills. You know, we do some of that in, in leaders. Increasingly what we're looking at is, is helping leaders to understand the dynamics in their teams and how they have to role model what they yeah. do and have to be open to new ways of working and, and, and shifts in mindset because, you know, even somewhere where the data office is 10 years old, you can get into a fixed way of working. Yeah. And a new generation comes in and says, well, no, this is now possible. We want to do it this way. And unless you're willing to go, great, you know, I, I get that's what we should do. And I'll step back and let you do it that way. And I will advocate for that. And I will make sure our stakeholders understand why it looks that way now. Um, then you can't progress and you can't make that, those leaps forward. Likewise, you know, someone coming in who's not necessarily data native in their skill set can get the basics. They, they can get to a point where maybe not having a technical conversation with a data scientist, but maybe talking to you know, one of the translators that we find in, in data offices who is that point of contact, you know, that in-out point um, between you know, the people doing the serious uh, modeling work and, and um blue skies development stuff in in the back room that you actually never want the business to see (laughs) because they they really can't talk about it in human terms they'll plunge straight into describing their model and techniques rather than the benefits so yeah look we we have to realize like most things now there's this sort of a lifelong learning curve for for everyone at every level to Keep refreshing how you approach things and recognize when 
it's time to move on um, and let a new approach uh, be adopted and, and show what it can do. Yeah. I guess bringing this back to the book then, and obviously data literacy is such a hot topic and, you know, we've been talking about this for for a long time now, but I guess how does this all tie in? Because I guess there's an element of, you know, the more data literate an organization is right in, in its entirety. So from the executives through to the people that are, you know, using and inputting data day to day through to, you know, the commerciality of data literacy within a, a data and analytics team, I guess, is it possible for an organization to become and remain data literate as a, as an entirety? Well, that is the critical question. Now, now yes, it is possible to become data literate. Remaining data literate is subject to some other pressures and, and factors, and we'll come back to them in a minute. But it was an interesting juncture when, when I was working on the book. So obviously, I, you know, I took a look at the definitions and the approaches to data literacy that, that were out there in the market. And typically, what you'll find is something that talks about the ability to read, understand, and communicate with data. And that's fine uh, as far as it goes. But if you really think about that, what that looks like is, you know, is numeracy and literacy uh, and a skill set which should be uh, taught you know, within the educational process uh, and increasingly is now. I think you know, um, the age at which people have to study maths has gone up. The, the requirement to be numerate has increased and is now you know, applied almost everywhere, even in you know, soft sciences and, and the arts and humanities. So I wanted to, to look further than that to see what does data literacy mean at an organizational level? So you know, our definition talks about a mindset that, that seeks to understand the business, the market, and the customers through the use of data, and then has a shared set of behaviors and assets and language and ways of working. If you take that perspective, then you're all cohering around a common approach, which should mean you avoid those classic obstacles of why is my number different from your number? Or I don't think what you've delivered to me is what I really wanted. Or thanks for all that data, but I, you know, what do I do with it? And those are sort of three classic things that, that we hear time and again happening. Yep. There's a big demand for data. Someone gets overwhelmed with it and they don't know what to do. Very commonplace. What you have to do is work with them to specify the business problem and ask, you know, what are they really trying to, to fix? And if you focus in on that sort of mindset piece, then you become more effective. Uh, and the data office starts to deliver. And you get more of that, that value recognition that we were talking about earlier. So that's really, for me, what data literacy is about. It, it's bringing together the business with, with data and finding that common territory. Some of that's generational. Some of that's just going to happen by default. You know, uh, Carl, you're probably already way more data literate than I am um, because... <laughs> You know, I did not grow up with digital technology and, you know, all those kind of um, quantified self tools that are probably common for, for someone like yourself to use. 
uh, that, that just didn't exist. So it's not automatically for me to, to think about those things. Similarly, you know, generations of managers, increasingly senior managers who were born into that, that world are coming into businesses and they expect to see it, even if their, their jobs aren't data oriented. They just yeah. expect to have those dashboards and to, to be able to, to explore for themselves and, and do some of that uh, reporting or modeling for themselves. And that makes a business data literate. Whether that's sustainable really comes down to the, the purpose of the organization and whether it does want to maintain that investment uh, and keep driving value from that. Because I have no doubt that somewhere in the next 10 years, we will encounter some you know, next magic source, which we can't yet see, but everyone will suddenly go, oh, this is what's going to transform business and transform the economy. Yeah. What well, that is, I, I don't know. None of, none of us know. You know, the things just suddenly land in these twenty-year cycles, and they they arrive um, like like magic. So it's out there somewhere. So will we stay data literate? To some extent, it's inevitable. But will it be the primary focus for the business? Not so yeah. much. Yeah. So I guess, com- and completely agree with with all of that. How do you get to the point then when you're trying to, you know, upskill for want of a better word and become more uh, of a data literate organization? Mm. What, in your opinion, do the practicalities look like of that? You know, if you're trying to move the needle in in that regard? Well, of course, partly it depends how early you want to, to resource that. So, but at a basic level, you do need to undertake some of that explaining work, you know, that sort of data foundation piece, just so that everyone across the business has an opportunity to understand what we mean when we talk about data. You and I have an understanding of that, but someone who, you know, perhaps works frontline in customer service um, or, you know, literally in the tills in a retailer or uh, in a warehouse or, or logistics, they might not have that full spectrum view of why data is important and what some of the terminology means uh, and why the business is focused on it. So, I think just dropping it into the everyday communications, the internal communications, uh, every time you know a, a divisional head or, or a C-suite is talking about the business, taking a moment to just mention the role of data in the way that they mention increasing things like regulation or customer. You know, not so long ago, Kyle, no one talked about things like customer churn or average revenue per user. Now it's commonplace, right? Yeah. That stuff you hear all the time. The use of the term data itself has now become complex and analytics, but not everyone feels comfortable with that. So you have to try to get everyone comfortable with it without fearing it. Yeah. So a basic layer of just communication. Then I think try to make some training available. That, that might be digital. It might be self-learn. Yeah, that's that's the, the, the cheapest way uh, of doing it. And there are lots of good courses out there um, that, that you can buy into or you know, co-create or, or put together yourself if you have the resources. And we've seen large organizations do exactly that. You know, some years ago, uh, Amy had built a fantastic one quite early on, um, Data Academy, very early entry. Last year, our Grand Prix Award went to NatWest for its Data Academy, and they've made the courses on that available to everybody. Anybody who wants to can get into those courses. Yes, there are waiting lists now, you know, 
for that. Now, you don't want everyone plunging into a data engineering boot camp or, you know, or a data science masters because they won't be able to deal with the technical depth. But those courses in themselves can be extraordinarily powerful in converting people who've got the passion and the interest to very highly skilled workers who might not previously have fitted into, you know, you talked about the briefs that you get, the, the, the recruitment briefs. Converting internal people through some of those courses can be amazingly valuable because they bring all of their understanding of the business and they get this new um, technical skill set and therefore their loyalty to the organization for the next three, five years because of what you've given them and how you've upskilled them is, is tremendous. Yeah. So I do think we're seeing an explosion of interest in data literacy programs or larger scale academies and not just about hard data skills. They, you know, they tackle the comms, they tackle the partnering piece. And likewise, the data department itself needs some skilling. So it needs to get into that soft skills territory, uh, the, the communications, the, the, the stakeholder partnering, the facilitating action uh, type of area. The, you know, a lot of what we do in leaders is, is focused on that. We don't do the technical training. There are great courses out there, whether they're from software vendors or um, academic programs. It's not our focus. That's what you've got to do. Um, all employers know not just about data. They have to offer learning programs, L&D, if they want to recruit and retain staff because young workers now expect that. They understand their career path is going to be portfolio. It's going to be you know, five different careers in their lifetime. Um, they may, perhaps sadly for them, not have the opportunity that I've had of kind of sticking with a certain thing um, which was A, journalism, and B, data, in effect, for as long as I've managed to do that. Uh, but with the right learning and support, they could stay with an organization for much longer than would otherwise be the case. And you know how expensive recruitment is <laughs> to organizations. So if you can get someone in, attract them with that proposition, and then keep and develop them, that's really, really valuable. Yeah. The whole data academy piece is is going to be pivotal for this in my eyes because I think you, you know, when we first started to see the first entries into the data academy world, it was often very much geared towards it may allow us to go and get more entry level data people mm. and give us a platform to develop people at scale effectively was what a lot of them used it for, yeah. and then very quickly we we saw that kind of. Um, you know, those issues occurring between the business and between data, and then that flipped on its head pretty quickly. So it became, yeah. it's available to to everybody, you know, so from executives to business users. And I think, you know, the, the harsh reality of the situation is, is just because you have a very data literate, data analytics team doesn't mean you've got a data literate business. Likewise, you could have Absolutely. the, the most yeah. data literate CEO in the world, but yeah. if his organization and users of data aren't data literate, then, you know, we're failing there. So I think the data... And, and, and absolutely. And similarly, you know, a, a highly skilled data team um, isn't necessarily a high-performing business function unless yeah. it's able to do that transfer process. 
And that's where a lot of these failures have occurred, you know, going back a couple of years when everyone was talking about data science. Uh, you know, I'm sure you saw a flood of <laughs> demand for data scientists who were in very short supply, supply. So, you know, very highly paid people were coming into this business. And then there was something, you know, the, the, the trough of, of disappointment when they didn't seem to, to realize that, that value back to the business. And it was often coming from both sides. So there's very highly skilled people didn't have the business understanding or the ability to communicate and engage with the business. And similarly, the business just was giving them the wrong things to do. You know, often stuff that should have been BAU for, for hardcore analysts. You, know, you don't necessarily need a data scientist. Your analysts are very good at this stuff. And indeed, I think we were talking about this last week, a lot of your analysts want the chance to have a crack at those big, more complex problems because they themselves have probably been doing some of that upskilling and taking those courses and are now an awful lot better than when they when they started. So one thing you know, we see and, and, and we advocate is if you are thinking about one of these projects and you're looking externally, give your internal team a chance to pitch and do it as a proof of concept first and compare and get the metrics in there and look at the costs. Yeah. And the outcome... Could be a surprise, not always, of course. They're great, absolutely great business partners out there. And sometimes they, they will have the skills and resources that you can't get in-house or can't afford to place in-house. But equally, you might find that your in-house team comes up with something that, that can be deployed quicker because they understand the operating environment or can be absorbed by the business because it's in the right language already. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that the whole data science thing really came down to hype to be honest with you you know if i'm being honest because that was a lot yeah yeah the, the the amount of business meetings i went and sat in and you know i'd, I'd often just say to organizations like, you, you don't need to hire a data scientist they're telling me they no. need to hire data and i'm you, you don't need that and and they're asking them to do the wrong type of work, which is yeah. in their skill set. And now you've seen the explosion over the last two years or so around the data engineer, right? Absolutely because right. Yeah. All, of, all of these companies have got bucket loads of data scientists everywhere that can't move data from A to B to do any modeling yeah. on it. So, you know, well, yeah. now the trend is data engineers. So I think we just need to get away from... Did, did you ever find your find a unicorn, Kyle? Uh, no, no, I've been looking for almost 12 years and um, no, ne ne never found one. So, uh, yeah. um, but look, uh, David, we could speak all day here. I'm conscious of time. So I guess to, to wrap this up, then how can people get hold of your book if they so choose to? Well, uh, hopefully available at all good booksellers, but the publisher's Harriman House, uh, Harriman with two R's. Um, uh, it's available via them. And the, the physical copy comes with a digital copy as well. So you don't just have to carry it around in knapsack. You can put it onto your, your e-reader if you like. Um, of course, any of the online booksellers, I, I expect, uh, have it for sale. There is also a link to it on our own website, dataiq.co.uk. Yeah, perfect. Um, and I guess if people want to reach out to you, got any questions about what they've heard today, about the book, whatever the case may be, are you, are you open for that? Delighted to. Uh, you've yeah. just heard I like talking about data. I'm very happy to talk about the book. <laughs> if someone wants their ear bent, uh, please do reach out. Very happy to be contacted via david.read at dataiq.co.uk. And that's read with two E's.
Perfect. David, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward Carl, to it. I appreciate soon. the invitation. Appreciate the opportunity to talk about the book and to talk about data. Uh, great to meet you today. And hello, everyone. And I hope you found it interesting. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.